All of us were dumbfounded when Zamatrina Harani insisted on the old customs for her wedding. The only thing that surprised us more was the marriage itself. Zamatrina had always been stubborn, but she had been stubborn about fitting in, about claiming this new place as her own. Or so we thought. She had been pondering the old ways for years, as you will learn, but she told no one. She kept silent out of love, and the family suspected nothing. How could we have suspected? She was only six years old when we were exiled from Limabantunk, the glorious city, and sent to this strange, dry place. She was still at the stage when little girls keep pet beetles and delight in memorizing epic poems. Hobbies they put aside soon enough. If we had been allowed to stay in our home, home, I still call it that. This is not home yet, after all these years, and I think it never shall be. Zamatrina Harani would soon have moved on to geometry and horticulture, disciplines which are, of course, intimately linked, and the beetles, replaced in her affections by birds or toads or badgers, would have been freed to feast on the flowers she had planted. But we were not allowed to stay there. My youngest son, Dorothy Frella Timbor, was exiled for killing a mendicant, a woman no less, which was a terrible thing, an unheard-of thing. To kill anyone is horrible, but to kill a mendicant is inconceivable, for mendicants, by definition, have nothing, and they are helpless, and they are honoring the elements. None of us understood how he could have done it or why. He couldn't answer when we asked him. He told us he didn't know. He told us he had been drunk. And indeed, my poor Dorothy was often drunk, but he had never been violent. The dead woman was Galicina Malinafa Odaratari, the daughter of the third cousin of the second wife of the Prime Minister. She was twenty years old, only one month into her year of service as a mendicant. It was a terrible death. The most grievous acts may be forgiven if the transgressor repents, and if the victim forgives. But the dead cannot forgive. The souls of the dead live on, as trees or birds or flowers, but they can no longer speak to people, to say, I forgive, or I burn in vengeance. They live in a dimension parallel to the one where people live, but unbridgeable by speech. And so, we were sent into a dimension like that, too, into exile, knowing that we would never be able to return. There is, of course, an infinity of dimensions, and the judges who sent us here did not know what this one would be. They knew only that it was a place where we could live, but where we would find no one who spoke our own language. For that is how the dead must exist also. They knew only that it was a place from which we could not return, as the dead cannot return. It was a hard punishment, but fitting. They did not know that we would land in a refugee camp, in the middle of a desert, in a state called Nevada, in a country called the United States. I have thought about this often, after everything else that has happened. In Lima Bantunk, one would never think to question the judges, or to ask how they know what they know. But now I ask questions I will never be able to answer. 
If no one has ever spoken to the judges from these other dimensions, how can they know that none are utterly uninhabitable? For certainly I thought at first that we would never survive in this parched place, and sometimes it seems a miracle that we have. And yet everyone must feel that way who is torn from a known, loved land and sent into darkness.'